Welcome to the I Hate Critics Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic Sean Patrick and Jeff Lasseter. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, IHateCritics.com. We're on all the social media platforms, Facebook, X, Instagram. We're not on TikTok yet. Uh, Critics Pod is the handle, or I Hate Critics over on Facebook. Uh, subscribe there. We're also on Apple Music. Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Alexa, all the podcatchers. If you subscribe to the show uh, and you can get us every week, please go to Apple Podcasts so and rate and review the show. We'll read your reviews on the air. We're also on YouTube. Uh, click on the bell to get notified when a new episode drops. Subscribe there. Uh, Patreon.com slash Critics Pod is the best way to support the podcast. And our tea public links are over at IHateCritics.net up in the right-hand corner. Sean, where can people read your reviews? Geeks.media, uh, Horror.media. I've got new uh, Horror in the 90s pieces up. Uh, I've got a new uh, review of our uh, next 1994 movie, Intersection, that is up today. So you can see that there. Jeff, what do you got going on? Uh, Nothing. Uh <laughs> Now, uh, go to jefflasser.com. You can get links to my Etsy and my T Public, uh, my Instagram. Follow me there. I've been doing some commissions this week. And in between those, uh, I'm actually designing my very first enamel pin uh, oh, nice. for another company. So I might have to get into that a little bit myself. Um, and in between commissions, I'm working on a few like just fun things. Is this a slower time for the fest, the, the comic, the cons around here? Yeah, yeah. I don't have anything lined up until March, which then we have QuadCon and Days of the Dead in um, Chicago. So, uh, yeah, right now it's just kind of in limbo. I've got to do. Uh, there's a Hellraiser slash Clive Barker um, reunion with Nightbreed and Hellraiser cast members, quite a bit of crossover in those, um, that'll all be at Days of the Dead. So I got to work on a, either one or both, or I don't know, something <laughs> to do with Clive Barker. Have you seen Nightbreed? No. You need to see Nightbreed. It's awesome. Yeah, it really is. All right. That might well, give me something to do in the next <laughs> couple <of> weeks. <laughs> <laughs> When I was in uh, high school, I got I was the uh, entertainment editor for the Lance at North Scott, and uh, they sent me a whole packet of Nightbreed merch and stuff like that. And I, God, I wish I still had it. <laughs> I love that movie. Have we ever talked about Nightbreed on here? I talked about it uh, on the solo show I did because I it was it's horror in the nineties. Right. One of the movies that came out in nineteen ninety. Uh, yeah, it's it's so cool. Dude, David Cronenberg is the villain. Okay, we have oh, talked about it. Okay, we did a Cronenberg episode where we brought it up. I just didn't see it that that movie. Yeah. I do remember it now. I thought I was going to ask if Cronenberg was in it. Okay, that makes sense. Oh, awesome! All right. Anything? Obviously, the we'll get to it later in the show. The Oscar nominations came out. Uh, but first, we figured we'd start with some new movies. Is there any news before the new movies that we want to? talk about not really uh, i mean obviously the oscars are really the only news that anybody's talking about today uh, so yeah not not too much to discuss in terms of news all right then 
let's start with the newish movies this week and American Fiction will start there. Yes, American Fiction, directed by Cord Jefferson and starring Jeffrey Wright as a, a man named Monk. He's a college professor. He does not suffer fools gladly. He uh, <laughs> uh, Immediately, the first thing you see is him picking a fight with a student, and you think, oh, God, this is going to be one of those cancel culture movies, but it's going so much further than that, and it's just so much smarter than that. Uh, he ends up uh, being put on administrative leave after this argument with his student. He's uh, going home to... Uh, uh, to deal with some family stuff, uh, and and uh, along the way, he's also going to take part in various literary things, uh, including a literary festival where he sees this woman talking about her book, and her book is what he hates. It's a book that seems to reflect uh, the way that uh, society portrays African Americans uh, as gang members and drug addicts and, and so on. It's just all very stereotypical, and it's everything that... You know, kind of white liberal publishers want from black authors. And he becomes so frustrated seeing how successful that this book is that he decides to try and do that for himself. He writes a book about a gang member who has uh, who is, uh, has uh, an absentee father and uh, is uh, on drugs and sells drugs and talks in a you know, stereotypical fashion. And, of course, this becomes a huge hit. <laughs> <laughs> he sells it for a million dollars, which he happens to really need because he really needs the money for various different uh, family reasons. So he's kind of torn between the fact that he wrote this as a shit post, but it's also in the most successful thing he's ever written. Uh, Jeffrey Wright is incredible in this movie. This movie contains, I think, three of the biggest laughs I've had in any movie in the last year. Uh, including the single funniest Roe v. Wade joke I've ever heard in my life. Uh, thank you, Tracy Ellis Ross, for that. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, just these, there's just these great uh, observant uh, race humor. This is just the, some of the most accessible race humor you've ever seen in a movie. Uh, it, it's really just incredibly, incredibly smart. Awesome. Jeff, you got to see it? Yeah, I did. Uh, I watched it the other night, and I... Let's just say that when we get to talking about the Oscars, the nominations for this movie, every single one of them is well-deserved. Um, you know, Jeffrey Wright has been a favorite of mine since he did Basquiat in the 90s. And the Sterling K. Brown, who is awesome, he's just in this movie is so funny and so kind of in your face that I can't... I I. I really like really hope he wins because he was just my favorite part of the movie. He's so glib and so <laughs> acerbic. Uh, he's just he's a guy who's l- just came just came out of the closet very, very recently. And he's decided to really live out of the closet <laughs> at this point in his life. Uh, and it, it, it's uh, it's it's very entertaining to watch. Yeah, he's just so good and it's still in theaters right now. Is that yes. accurate? Yeah, just, just started uh, playing here locally actually this past weekend. So hopefully you can get the streaming soon so I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else on American fiction before we move on? Uh, it's one of the best movies of the year. It was in my top 10, obviously. If you remember the top 10 episode, I had it in there and mm-hmm. deservedly so. ISS. Yeah, 
ISS uh, stands for International Space Station, and this is a thriller that uh, uh, takes uh, Adric's uh, Ariana DeBose, and uh, she's an astronaut who is going on her first mission to the International Space Station. And uh, while she's up there, an incident happens on Earth between Russia and the United States. And obviously, the International Space Station, you have three American astronauts, you have three Russian astronauts, so there's conflict between Russia and America on the ground. There's also conflict between Russia and America on the International Space Station. Uh, each side is trying to secretly get information about what is happening on the ground. From space, it looks like some sort of lo- very large nuclear incident has occurred, but nobody is sure because they can't get any information from the ground. The only information that they receive, each side receives, is to take the ISS. That's all they have. And so they've got to figure out a way to either decide if they're going to ignore those uh, orders or if they're going to try and actually, when either side, try to take the ISS. This movie is terrific. Uh, Gabriella Calperthwaite is the director. She directed Blackfish. She's a well-known documentary director. She's incredibly talented, and she's got a really terrific eye for for, uh, a movie like this. Uh, This is not a movie that has a, a great big budget. Uh, but it is it still doesn't it doesn't look bad at all for not having a budget, especially for a movie set in space. <laughs> uh, it's remarkably funny uh, and, and it's remarkably fun. I mean, and and uh, it just incredible thrills, excitement. There's a lot of you know, shifting alliances, all very smartly played. I really had a great time with this movie. I had extraordinarily low expectations for it because uh, I really just didn't know much about it. But uh, watching it, I really had a great time, and was really impressed by the direction. That's cool. Did you get a chance to see it, Jeff? No, I have not. Yeah, I've never even heard of this one, but that's awesome. Do they, you think they release it this time of year to just because it is an original idea, and all the IP movies come out in May <laughs> now? Is that how it works? <laughs> I'm not sure what their release strategy was. It bombed uh, pretty badly. It got uh, pretty much no publicity for whatever reason uh and yeah it tanked pretty spectacularly over the weekend so yeah well hopefully it finds live streaming All here's right. hoping uh poor things yes uh poor things we talked about this a little bit when i saw it uh, back in uh back in december uh starring emma stone who of course is academy award nominated as of today uh she's playing Bella Baxter, who is uh, a very unique character, uh, very reminiscent of the uh, of the monster in Frankenstein in in many different ways. Uh, she's a a woman who's learning how to be a woman again, and uh, and that includes discovering her sexuality in a very graphic and and notable <laughs> way. Uh, this is directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, who has a, a very Unique Eye. This movie is incredible to look at. Uh, the, the, the production design is extraordinary. The cinematography is amazing. Emma Stone is both funny and, and smart and enlightening. And this is an incredibly observant movie about, uh, about a woman who is learning about her sexuality and about uh, how you know, he's trying to deconstruct the idea of the sex scene in movies and trying to de-eroticize uh, female nudity in many ways. Because he has so much of it. Uh, there is so much female nudity in this movie. And so much sex in this movie. That it is uh, it's a deconstruction in a very interesting way. Uh, 
it, it it's one of the most fascinating movies I've ever seen. It's not my favorite Yorgos Lanthimos movie. I'm still I'm still hooked on uh, uh, the Killing of the Sacred Deer, but uh, this one is up there. It, it's a, it, all of his movies have been great, as far as I'm concerned. And I know that's a controversial opinion for some, given the lobster. But uh, I, I kind of like the lobster <laughs> as well. Well, I, the lobster. I mean, I, I was the polarizing movie, but mm-hmm. still, I, don't, I was pretty impressed by it. Uh, what did you think, Jeff? Jeff? Uh, you got to see it for the first time. Yeah, I thought that it was. I mean, the surreality of it, surreality. Yeah, um, <laughs> is what really got for me. Uh, there has been memes that have been going around with uh, stills from this and the movie Frankenhooker, and it says that basically, poor things is a Frankenhooker remake, and. <laughs> After seeing it, I can kind of, like, there are some parallels to the two movies. Um, but Emma Stone, I just, when Sean says that, you know, Lanthimos is trying to de-eroticize the sex scenes, he has done it because there's almost nothing erotic about any of the sex scenes in this movie. Um, uh, you know, I guess I'm a prude because I just... I didn't need to see Emma Stone nude <laughs> um, <laughs> without having Mark Ruffalo or Rami Youssef completely butt wild either. But um, I, I was really kind of taken in by the cinematography and the, the scene setting for each, each sequence. Um, a lot of, within even even just the costumes there's just a lot, a lot of water imagery uh, you know like sp- things are spilling out and I mean like in every sense of the word um, Willem Dafoe is <laughs> very off-putting more so than normal <laughs> if you can imagine if- Bob he's actually more gross in this movie than the lighthouse <laughs> yeah Weirdly, I can imagine um, that just because of Willem Dafoe. It's... Um, I also love the fact that Christopher Abbott is in it because I, I, he is great. Um, Gerard Carmichael uh, puts in a very subtle performance in his, his small part that was really, I don't know, kind of surprising to me. Because of you know his comedy and everything like that, um, yeah. I just I I, <laughs> I don't know. Like, it, will it be possible for Yorgos Yorgos Lanthimos to, to be even better? Because it seems like everything he does just is better than the last. So, back to the nudity for just a moment. I I think I think what this is doing this is throwing it in the face of the of essentially those who would carry the male gaze. Like it's. How much of this, like, how much of this nudity is still going to be appealing to you? I mean, it doesn't, she's an attractive woman, so it doesn't stop feeling, being appealing necessarily, but it's just, it's so much of it that he, he's essentially throwing it back in the audience, like, just how much nudity do you want or how comfortable, how uncomfortable can I make you with this? And, and that sort of accusatory approach to, to sexuality in a movie is very interesting and very challenging. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like he accomplished the same thing Showgirls did, because I was not interested <laughs> by the, about fifteen minutes in. Uh, just too much nudity. Well, 
It's it's Bella, who's played by Emma Stone, is both completely un- under her own control and completely out of her own control in every single one of the sex scenes. And the way that she plays that and he directs that is just, it's kind of really fascinating because they're, she's, she does both at the same time and it's very hard to do. And she's just amazing at it. Yeah. You know, we, we fetishize the, the female body and, and, and sexuality, uh, female sexuality, herself. especially. <laughs> and, and the, uh, and as I'm speaking for myself, Jeff. Yes. <laughs> Generally speaking, as a culture, we do we do uh, fetishize this, and so the idea that she is a woman who enjoys sex uh, is uh, actually puts Mark Ruffalo through the ringer sexually, like the, to the mm-hmm. point where you can't keep up with her, and most men can't keep up with her. Is yet another way that he's challenging how we view sexuality and like how a man, especially, deals with a woman who is so sexually empowered. Yeah, I, I want to go back to Jeff's idea about Frankenhooker. What if he really did kind of, I mean, think about all these movies that if a really good director decided to try to do something loosely based on that. I mean, this is something oh, would you would probably that. get if, you know, somebody took it seriously. I think the... I, I, I think the pastiche here is more Bride of Frankenstein than it is well, right. Frankenhooker. Fair, but I haven't but seen either Fra- one. So. <laughs> but I mean, Frankenhooker is, you know, it's it's got it takes a lot from those old um, Universal monster movies, especially the Frankenstein ones. And this, you know, this is kind of a a remake of those old you know, Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, but updated for today's sensibilities, I guess. Um, and just as much a comedy as Bride of Frankenstein is, um, dark, a little darker, um, a little less uh, oblique about the comedy, because, I mean, Emma Stone, she's, she's just, everything she's playing is comedy, but she does it in such a, a serious way that you can't help but think about it behind the comedy. And obviously this did well with the nominations we'll get to later. Uh, is there anything else about this movie? Want to continue on or do you want to move on? I think that's pretty well. I think we covered it pretty well. All, right. All of us strangers. All of us strangers. Uh, uh, this is and Jeff. Why don't you take us through the? It's been a while since I've seen it. I'm trying to recall it from my memory now. Well, so the movie starts off um, with Andrew Scott. I can't think of his character's name. I'm going to pull it up because I, I was just so taken with it that he doesn't. Um, he he's kind of a a placeholder for the, for the audience, but in his own um, <laughs> inner life, uh, he is the, the film opens basically with him living almost alone in a, in a high rise, a brand new high rise in London. And he is 
kind of awoken and rushes outside with a for a fire alarm. When he comes back, he meets Harry, played by Paul Mescal, who kind of wants to insinuate himself into Adam Andrew Scott's apartment to see, you know, what they, you know, both they're both lonely. They both talk about being lonely in this brand new high rise, hoping that other people will move in. And shortly thereafter, uh, Adam goes back to his hometown and goes to visit his parents played by Claire Foy and Jamie Bell. And they, it's obvious that they haven't seen him in a long time. And then it's not really giving anything away because it's kind of the premise of the movie is they've been dead since he was 12 and he's actually found a way, whether it's in his within himself or it's actually happening that he's going back and catching up with his parents and telling them all the things that have happened to him since in the meantime, he starts a relationship with Harry and they, you know, they go out clubbing and, have a lot of sex and spend a lot of time with, with one another. And then Adam decides to take Harry to see his parents. And that's when he really reali- realizes that they've been dead for 30 some years. Um, and Harry keeps telling him, you know, I don't know what you're doing. What are you, what are you doing? And then it comes back to, it's really just, it's just the four characters. They're, some incidental characters along the way, but it's really just this, it's Adam's kind of discovery of the stuff that he's lost and how does he reconcile his life as a 50 year old gay man when he's being pursued by a much, much younger uh, man and his parents is he's trying to find acceptance of himself through his parents who have been dead for so long. Did you like it's, a, it? it's an incredible film. Uh, this is, you know, I, I, I find myself just drawn to, to the way that Andrew Hay uh, portrays this story. Uh, it, it reminds me of how I view time travel. I don't necessarily think that time travel is possible, but I believe that in a way you can time travel in your own mind and, and kind of view your own memories and feel them in a way that feel just extraordinarily real as you mem- as you remember them. And that to me, I think is a form of time travel. And the, the idea here is that he, he's seeing his parents, but himself as an adult, but seeing his parents from when he was 12 and they're seeing him as an adult. And he is essentially enacting how he thinks they would react to who he is now. And that is a fascinating idea. The way that he plays that out and he plays out the conversations. I mean, he, he, He's just trying to imagine, essentially, what they would be like and how they would be. And, you know, the, the idea that his father would be so wonderful to him and, and accepting that his mother would be reluctant, that that's just how he remembers them as people from when he was a child. Uh, again, it's a, a tremendously fascinating idea. And uh, you, it takes an actor of, of this kind of talent to make you buy in and believe in that idea. And he, he's just absolutely exceptional. Is he actually seeing them or is that for us to figure out it's up to you it's up to you to decide whether or not that's a real interaction or if that's just entirely in his head yeah there's a lot of stuff in this that 
it's completely left up to you, the viewer, to decide. You know, um, I think there's only a couple things about the movie, you know, that are concrete. And yes, his parents died when he was 12. Um, I think that there were a couple other things, and I want you to see it, Bob. I don't want to give anything away, but there's a couple things in it to me that are like, um, really left up to interpretation and that I want to watch it again just so I can go back and see if I can solidify it a little bit for myself. Is it available to stream yet or is it in the theaters? It's not in our local theater. I'm not sure what their release plan on this one has been because obviously they didn't get the Academy Award nominations that they were kind of hoping for today. So that's probably going to affect whether or not they're going to have any wider theatrical or whether or not they're going to go uh, on to streaming. I know you can go to Chicago and see it because my friend just went to Chicago, was in Chicago and saw it. So I believe uh, one of our our new local theater w- was showing it uh, uh, at some point. But I need to pay yeah, more attention to their screenings. Yeah, they're in Indy. They're in Indy, so they can kind of take stuff like this and show it and find an audience for it. I think they had it for one night. Did they? I'm pretty sure because I know that I was working and I couldn't go see it. So, yeah, it's. I mean, it's really well worth watching, and it's. Um, I just. Well, that's the thing. Is as, after as, go ahead. I was gonna say, as a a gay guy with no parents, it did bring up a lot of you know like wish fulfillment. For that, you know to to get the acceptance that people my age might not necessarily have had without a lot of back and forth to kind of get that acceptance right away um, from his father, especially was refreshing. Um, but then again, you know, it, it's just, it seems like it's wish fulfillment because he's just, is he seeing them just in his head or is he actually seeing them? So yeah, I mean that's the what after the uh, the year in review show, the list of movies from twenty three that I have to see yet. Uh, <laughs> saying American fiction, obviously poor things. The Zone of Interest is what I'm the most excited about. Uh, Anatomy of the which Fall, is at so the, our local theater right now. Well, I live a half an hour away. <laughs> so, <laughs> so do you. So I know it's no excuse, but. Uh, God, was it? Will it be there this weekend, or probably not? Uh, at the last picture house, yes, it'll be there. Oh, that one! Oh, I'll have to find a way to see that because I really want to see that one bad. I mean, I want to see them all really bad. But is there anything you else? Got to work. <laughs> I guess I could. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, is there anything else you want to talk about before heading into the Oscar talk? Not really. Nothing I can think of. All right, then. What did you guys think? <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, I was a little bit... I guess the thing that caught me off guard the most was the best actor category, because I did, back in November, review the movie Rustin with uh, Coleman Domingo, and I said that he was Oscar-worthy. That's literally in the, like, in the description of my review, <laughs> Oscar-worthy, and I... I didn't think there was much chance of it. The movie seemed to sink and 
uh, disappear throughout the month of December into the, just the, the morass of Netflix. And I thought, okay, well, that's uh, that movie's not going anywhere. And then suddenly here we are. Uh, he has a nomination for Best Actor, and Leonardo DiCaprio is on the outside looking in. And I was like, wow, that kind of... I mean, yeah, I, I don't disagree with him being nominated. He's tremendous. He's fantastic in the movie. But that was the one that was like, wow. And then uh, I guess the other one would be Nyad. Uh, again, another one that just, it was out. It fell into the you know the Netflix abyss. And then here we are now. Somehow they've managed to get, get it in front of voters. Uh, you know, that older Academy crowd who are looking for people they recognize, like Annette Benning and Jodie Foster, sought it out, uh, saw it, and uh, nominated it. Uh, over, you know, over Margot Robbie, um, you know, net betting and edging out essentially Margot Robbie in the best actress ca- category uh, definitely is a surprise. But it, it's a surprise only if you don't consider the fact that the Academy is incredibly old. The membership is old. Uh, you need to mention again, the and the membership is very old. Uh, they want familiar faces. They want uh, that type of famil- familiar name that they know. And Nyad has a pair of familiar names that they know that they when they saw them available, they were like, yes, let's watch that and vote for that. Yeah, that's insane to me. <laughs> Not that I haven't seen I haven't seen Rustin or Nyad, but just in terms of A list, you have Leonardo DiCaprio and Margot Robbie. Uh if you, if you, I don't know, they always bitch about people not watching the awards anymore. And you go and take two huge names out of it. That and Greta Gerwig not getting in oh, and best awful. director was uh, yeah. surprising. Although, again, you know, we're talking when it comes to best director, we are talking about uh, five names versus yeah. the ten, you know, best picture. Uh, so, you know, not everybody who's in best picture can be in best director. Uh, and, you know, you do want to have Jonathan Glazer in there for the zone of interest. Uh, that definitely is a, a movie that is just remarkably directed. You know, Scorsese. I'm not. I'm not justifying that Greta Gerwig is out. I think Greta Gerwig should be in, but it's it's not an easy category to pull somebody out of. That's true. Jeff, you were upset. What are you upset about? <laughs> um, mostly Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie. Honestly, um, I just listening to Greta Gerwig talk about Barbie and how you know she just did such a a thing with it. You know that was never. It, uh, Sharon Stone tried to get this movie made, you know, thirty years ago, and I can't imagine what it would have been like thirty years ago. Um, Margot Robbie, the how she made you actually feel the difference between the doll and. Barbie discovering her humanity along the way and finally, you know, finally becoming a human is I I just, I, I, I don't, she's not somebody that I'm like, Oh my God, I got to see everything Margot Robbie's in. But I really, really thought she handled the role super, super well. Um, We all know that like I have, I do get a little pissy when it comes to uh, people who should have been nominated and weren't like Tony Collette and Mia Goth. Um, I, I can honestly say like, I like Annette Benning. Um, I have not seen Nyad yet. I will see it, but I mean, 
And Carrie Mulligan was great in Maestro. She was the only part I really liked, but I would trade either one of those for a Margot Robbie. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think Carrie Mulligan, a tremendous actress. I didn't think that was her best uh, performance, uh, I, but I don't think Maestro overall is one of the better uh, movies of the year. I think no, it's, a, no. I think it's, a, I think it's solid in many ways. Uh, it's it's well directed, but I don't think it's one of the better movies of the year. And so yeah. to see it, even to see it in the other categories was kind of to me like with Bradley Cooper being in Best Actor as well, just kind of. That one was another one like it, the Netflix influence. Even though Netflix didn't necessarily, they they were third overall in the in the companies that had Academy Award nominations. Of course, Disney coming in number one as they always do. Uh, but they in the big categories in the acting categories in the best picture category, Netflix was surprisingly strong. Uh, considering that again, Maestro also is another movie that was released and dropped into the Netflix abyss and was not heard from again and is now here. And why is that? Because, well, the name Leonard Bernstein, which who people in the Academy were, you know, colleagues with, like, again, they're very, very old. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I wanted to mention that Ryan Gosling released a statement regarding uh, Greta Gerwig and uh, Margot Robbie not getting nominated and uh, had a lot of interesting things to say. He said, I'm extremely honored to be nominated by my colleagues alongside such remarkable artists in a year of so many great films. And I never thought I'd be saying this, but I'm also incredibly honored and proud that it's for portraying a plastic doll named Ken. But there is no Ken without Barbie. And there is no Barbie movie without Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie, the two people most responsible for this history-making, globally celebrated film. No recognition would be possible for anyone on this film without their talent, grit, and genius. To say I'm disappointed that they are not nominated in their respective categories would be an understatement. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, again, having not seen Nyad or Maestro, uh, it probably would have been that hard to get Margot Robbie in there. The director, again, not seeing all the movies, but from what I've heard, I understand that being difficult uh, because there's a lot of directors that aren't on here. Uh, (laughs) I mean, it, it just is a great year for movies, but I mean... I wouldn't have been upset if, you know, I, I don't know who you'd pull out. <laughs> but again, it would have been nice to see Greta Gerwig, and she will be here, and she will win, because she's one of the best there is. So uh, probably will be for a movie that's not her best. You know, that's usually how it goes. Yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a career right. Oscar. I mean, even back to Leo DiCaprio, I, this is the best he's been in a long time, I thought. and Great. You know, to not be there with, you know, have Bradley Cooper over him in a movie that was painfully boring. Uh, I don't know. I I mean, I don't really care. I've been so burnt by the Oscars (laughs) since, really since Gladiator, uh, when Almost Famous didn't even get nominated. Uh, Yeah. And and then Crash just sealed the deal. I mean, Pulp Fiction and Forrest Gump hurt. But Crash sealed the deal. When Crash won. Yeah. It's just like, this is bullshit. I don't care. Uh, we even stopped talking about it for a little bit. <laughs> we used to do, was it, we didn't do watch alongs, but we would record it after, right after the yeah, Oscars and step play one watch in the morning. The Oscars. And shit. Yeah. Watch the Oscars at your place and record immediately after and, uh, you know, make fun of them. Uh, but then eventually <laughs> we're just like, fuck this. This isn't even yeah. fun anymore. <laughs> that said, you know, there are some, 
you know, like the director category is really tight. The supporting uh, actor category is really tight for me. Uh, I'm, uh, I don't know. It, it I just, gotta say, it's yeah, been a the, great year for movies. The the best director category, you know, you, with Justine Triette, I know most people haven't seen Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, it, it, it is it is that good. It is it is that good. I can say that for sure, um, and very deserving. But that uh, that category with only with without Greta, I don't know. It, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't yeah. feel. Right, but I don't know who. I don't know who I could take out of that. You know who I would take out of it, and it's just strictly because they've been nominated so many times. <laughs> Is Scorsese. I'd I mean, take it, Nolan out over Scorsese, but I well, understand. either honestly, either one, I could either one of those. I would switch with for Greta Gerwig. Um, she did something completely different, and they both did something that has been done by them several times. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? It's it's not. They're not bad movies. They're not badly directed. I just think both of them have done such stellar work doing similar generational stories uh, in Scorsese's um, case and thoughtful blockbusters in um, Christopher Nolan's case. She did something that was so completely different and refreshing and, I mean, just (laughs) awesome, for lack of a better uh, word, that I I could switch either one of them out. For her, the cool thing though about it is, in a lot of ways, it's kind of beyond the Oscars. You know, what she did, you can't, I mean, it's hard to quantify anything when it comes to art, but what she did with not only the art, but the commercial, everything involved in that movie, the way she (laughs) just weaved through everything and had everybody committed, and even the people that hated it. Just the line she walked to make that movie happen and be what it was is beyond mm-hmm. any award. You know, it's just it's just super impressive, and I know she knows it. She probably doesn't really care. Uh, it's it really was an impressive thing. I mean, how often does a blockbuster end up in most people's top 10 lists at the end of the year. I mean, aside yeah. from critics that see 500 movies and it ends up in the top 30, whatever. It's still very impressive. Uh, blockbusters like that don't get that kind of recognition. And, you know, there's, you know, Tarantino's never really won. I guess he's one producer, I suppose, but it's that kind of off to the side. Be- I mean, Ari Aster, it's beyond the Oscars. And I think she yeah. deserves to be in that category. And I don't know. I just never really cared for him. But this is also a pretty cool year with a lot of great movies that I still haven't seen. I would say, yeah. If I'm gonna take, uh, I can take the, I can take Maestro out of Best Picture easily and switch that for something else. Um, I definitely could move Bradley Cooper. I could move him out for for Best Actor and, and not be, you know, we'd not be missing anything. I do think Colin Domingo is that good in Rustin. Nobody's seen it but me, but mm-hmm. <laughs> and the Academy, I guess. But I mean, who's uh, the favorite in the? I mean, let's just stop for a second here. Is is it Killian's Mur- Killian Murphy's award or no? It's Paul Giamatti. Gonna it? Paul Giamatti's going to get it. Giamatti's going to win for sure for the holdovers. 
I'll call that shot right now. He he's won every other award so far this season. So it would be surprising if he got upset. I would love to see Jeffrey Wright win it though. It would be great. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I like the holdovers, but Paul Giamatti to me seemed like he was playing a Paul Giamatti character, right? More so than Jeffrey Wright. You know who that his his whole character revolves around the his incredulity and everything that's going around like going on around him and he just he rides that throughout the movie until it breaks and then he just he like the wave of acceptance comes over him and you know kind of letting it go and that last the last sequence, Bob, it's just, you'll love it because it's <laughs> so referential of the movies that we talk about mm-hmm. that you just see it. You see the spark in his eyes and how it just kind of peters out <laughs> and you're like, okay, that's exactly what I want to see as a, you know, for best actor. Um, I have not seen Rustin yet. I've seen all the rest of them. Um, and as of right now, my favorite is Jeffrey Wright. Um Killian Murphy was very good. Again, I just Oppenheimer to me was kind of rote. It's it's exactly what it's you know it's it's. I mean, I exactly think what you expect from a biopic. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's these big epic movies that I think when you get away from them, they're easy to take for granted. But when you watch them, you're like, oh yeah, that role is really good. Uh, I mean, even looking back at like what, like The Godfather never really makes any of my lists of all time. Whenever we have to go back and watch, it's like, oh yeah, I forget how awesome that movie is. Uh, and yeah. I, I feel like uh, both Oppenheimer and uh, Killers of the Flower Moon are kind of in that category where they're just so what they are, it's easy to, okay, we, we, it's great, you're right, but let's see you know, this new thing that's uh, that is equally as good, if not better. It's something we haven't seen before. So now I get what you're saying. Uh, I just was really about, shocked how good Killian Murphy was. Consider I never really thought he was that great before. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm like looking at Best Actress. I'm. I was not the biggest fan of Killers of the Flower Moon, in general. I mean, I thought it was very well done, but to me, like I said when we recorded. Lily Gladstone stole everything mm-hmm. for me. And to see that she's nominated, it gives me a little bit of hope. <laughs> Who um, I that? don't think she will. Uh, Emma Stone. Oh, I guess that's fair. Because she, she her, her performance is great, but it's bigger. You know, it's big. Right. It's, the sauce of the most. It's, <laughs> it's acting, you know, like she's. That's she's often acting. what wins. <laughs> well, and there's. Oh, I know. That's why I'm saying. But there's times where that if works, was, and there's times where it's annoying, and it sounds like yeah, it works. If in I this was movie. voting, if I was voting, I'd vote for Lily Gladstone. I thought her performance was subtle, and she had all the power in the movie. Mm-hmm. Just, just the looks that she gave. She knew everything was going on behind her eyes. When she wasn't in the scene, even when she wasn't in the scene, she owned the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you were thinking about her when she wasn't there for sure. Uh, But I would urge people though to see to see Anatomy of a Fall and see Sandra Huller and and uh, she's doing a lot in that movie. It's 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 incredible and it's it's interpretive. You've got to try and read her 
uh, read the what she's giving you because she's not giving a lot, but uh, it's it's the subtlety of it. It's just absolutely ingenious. So she plays a woman whose husband dies under sort of mysterious circumstances. She's accused of his murder, uh, and there's evidence that kind of goes both ways. Uh, her son uh, sort of witnessed it, but only but he's blind, so he doesn't necessarily have the ability to have seen anything, but he definitely heard something. Uh, so that's playing out while this is happening. You're watching, it's a trial movie, so you're watching a trial play out, but really you're just watching her and what she does and trying to read her. And that 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 makes the performance just incredibly powerful. Is this the type of movie that could uh, win over someone who's just a very casual moviegoer, or is it homework to them? I think I think it could because it's not entirely it's it's not entirely <laughs> it's not enti- it's not it's partially in English so I think that helps. <laughs> I mean that's like my main thing when I run to it at home is not being able to watch what my wife calls art movies. <laughs> this is too weird. I don't. <laughs> well, this is a trial movie, so that helps. It's a little bit more familiar for for American audiences in that way. That's cool. Uh, what about best some- supporting? I mean, best supporting actor is done. They give it to Robert Downey Jr. already. He's he's won everything else. That's just going to be a walk for him. I think. Uh, I don't see anybody. I mean, I, not saying that I I'm not dismissing the other performances. They're brilliant. I just think that Robert Downey Jr. is the front runner to win this, and it seems like he's running away with it at this point. Yeah, and he's never won before, right? Or he didn't win for Chaplin, did he? No, no, I don't think so. No, he's uh, yeah, it, he's not one. In, he's been nominated three times now, but he's never won before. Yes. Yeah, he was my favorite part of Oppenheimer. Oh, for sure. Um, I'll tell you what, though, like if Sterling K. Brown won it, I would not be upset. I don't think he will. I think it, it is definitely Robert Downey Jr. But if Sterling K. Brown won it, perfectly fine with that. Watch the Nero uh, win it. <laughs> They, they pulled I mean, some. Uh, what was it when Mickey Rourke was winning all the awards, and then when it came to the Oscars, <laughs> Sean Penn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, best supporting actress. That's. Uh, I think I'm thinking it's Divine Joy Randolph for the, the holdovers. She's the definitely the front runner there. She's again somebody who's won every other award. Uh, she is the heart of that movie, undoubtedly. I uh, in I just think that's a that's a given that she's going to win that mm-hmm. one. Uh, if there's an upset chance, I think it's America Ferrara. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's there's some there's some buzz building for that. She is, of course, also kind of to her speech is the heart of Barbie. So there's that there's that element that could push her forward. Uh, I really love seeing that Daniel Bro- Daniel Brooks got nominated for the color purple. I'm I'm shocked that's actually the only nomination that movie got because it seems like it She's would be so great. The kind of thing, yeah, the kind of thing that old Hollywood would love, but you know. I, they, were, they were busy I, watching watching Annette Benning swim, I guess. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm a little like I love America Ferrara. I I've loved her since Ugly Betty. Um, I Superstore, you know, she's just she's great. She was what I liked the best about Dumb Money. She just she's got that kind of every every man kind of quality to her, mm-hmm. and to see people on Twitter bitching about the fact that oh it's just another uh jamie lee curtis situation like last year and i was like uh hold up 
And then, you know, I, I just, it, it kind of pissed me off because I, she was the heart of that movie. And it was, it was the parallel discovery of, of Barbie, you know, being the one who had to discover who she was when America Ferrara knew exactly who she was and was still, you know, <laughs> upset about it. Um, I literally anybody in this category, I have, like I said, I've not seen Nyad, so I don't know about Jodie Foster, but she, she, she never disappoints. Um, I would have actually, I loved Emily Blunt and Oppenheimer, but I kind of would have maybe traded her for Florence Pugh. Mm-hmm. I just, I thought, you know, she had such a small part, but she just, what she brought to the screen in Oppenheimer to me was somehow better. It's a bolder performance. Yeah. And again, yeah. You know, we talked about the nudity in that film and, and how it is necessary to what they're doing with both, with those two characters, with Oppenheimer and her character, that it is necess- it's a necessity that they do it the way that they do it. Uh, and, and it's a bold performance in that sense. I think, I think Emily Blunt is being rewarded for being a much more subtle performance uh, for a much wider mm-hmm. you know, strength performance that I guess that, uh, that she does radiate strength and she is, she is very, very good in that, in that role. So I could go either way on that. Yeah. I'm, I'm also a little um, baffled by the fact that May, December got nothing as far as like acting. Yeah. I think they that's one of those that that uh, they thought, well, we'll just throw it in the screenplay category to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> best director. Uh, best director is going to be I think it's going to be Christopher Nolan. I think Oppenheimer is going to I think Oppenheimer is pretty much going to roll in those categories. Best picture and best director. I think I think he's got it pretty much nailed down at this point. Then we can never hear from him again, I hope. <laughs> uh, the trailer for his new movie is going to drop a year ahead, and then we'll spend a year hearing about it, and then it'll come out and be a huge hit again. Hopefully it doesn't <laughs> suck like everything but this and Memento. <laughs> you know, I still have not seen Tenet because I just, I just could not with him. <laughs> I like Tenet. <laughs> I, I'm, maybe I'll like it if I watch it, but... I mean, every I just, time I, I watch The Dark Knights, I like them less. And I love those. Yeah. I just... I don't know. I I don't think he's a great storyteller. I think he knocked Oppenheimer out of the park. Don't get me wrong. But I just don't think he's a great storyteller. And I think that's important think, for directors. <laughs> I think one of the things that got him to where he is now was because he did something different with Batman. Yeah. You know, it was, it was not the Joker versus Batman, like everything else. It was, uh, you know, it was more the story of Bruce Wayne throughout, you know, each film, but I honestly don't know if Christopher Nolan would be Christopher Nolan at this point, if it wasn't for Heath Ledger. Right. Because Heath Ledger's performance in that movie was so good, transcendent, and I mean everything about it was you just never knew from one moment to the next what he was going to do. And I think Christopher Nolan, because Heath Ledger died, 
I gotta I gotta say that because he died, Christopher Nolan got a lot of the credit for that, which he deserves because he did direct him. But I think he kind of rode that. Well, I think that movie decided, rides it because some of that there's a lot of potholes in that movie, and there's oh, yeah. times where I'm just like. It's not good, but Heath Ledger is so good you kind of miss things, or you just yeah. you put up with it and you don't care. Uh, Heath Ledger made everything about that movie better, and everybody in it and involved with it better. Um, right. I wish he was still alive because I'd love to see where he's at now. But mm-hmm. um, I just I Christopher Nolan is kind of borders on dude bro for me. <laughs> I get Sean's that. over there going, oh, come on. <laughs> Sean turned his camera off. <laughs> Don't have a camera. How, how many months ago? <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, he's not, he's not somebody I rush out to see. If it wasn't for the show, I probably would have waited to see Oppenheimer. Uh, you know, like a couple weeks. Yeah. I don't know. I just, he doesn't. He doesn't speak to me as a director. I mean, he's responsible for our show existing in a lot of ways because The Dark Knight Rises, me and Sean arguing on Facebook started this whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then Interstellar was a fun back and forth with me and Josh. (laughs) But yeah. Oh, Lord. But I mean, again, I think Oppenheimer is fantastic. Uh, but you know, so I'm not. I'm not gonna complain if he wins or when he wins. I don't. I I have not seen the Zone of Interest. I started it the other night, but I have not finished it. So I don't know about Jonathan Blazer. I'm sur- I'm sure, based on what I've seen, it was the directing is very good. Um, and I have not seen Anatomy of a Fall yet, so I can't speak to that. But I would just for the sheer. Um, ambition of it I would pick Yorgos Lanthimos for poor things um, just it's so it's so different and so charming even you know even even as like kind of disturbing and a little the a little whimsy goes a long way with some of it but I just it's something so different and you know Oppenheimer and Killers of the Flower Moon were well done, if not wrote, <laughs> biopics. Is correct me if I'm wrong. Are both Zone of Interest and Poor Things A24? Yes, that's cool. Nice to see those in there. And I believe Anatomy of a Fall is as well. Oh wow, three. That's what they do. They just make the yeah. best movies, and you know. Well, uh, where you, should have been nominated as well, but it was never going to be. We know that. Oh yeah, where would you? <laughs> I, I forget where. Where is Bo is afraid compared to these three? I don't remember on your list. Not oh, especially now that Jeff. Is, Bo is afraid was number number three on my list. <laughs> yeah, you. It was you, number six. But you hadn't seen Poor Things at that point, or it, I guess you haven't seen the other two. What's What's higher, Poor Things or Bo is afraid? Now that you've seen poor things, I 
For me, I'd say poor things. But that could be recency bias, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what other categories do you want to look at? I just want to say just a couple of quick things. Like, uh, original song, seeing I'm Just Ken was cool, but uh, what was I made for should win. It should have won at the Critics' Choice Awards. Honestly, we were all a little bit embarrassed that that went the way it did because it's kind of it's kind of like the it it's kind of just ironic with that movie to pick. I'm just Ken for best best song over, over what was I made for? So well, and yeah. with Ryan Gosling being nominated and Margot Robbie not being nominated for yeah. This. Oh, that's all. That's all anybody is saying on the interwebs today is they're basically just doing the plot of the movie. It's not that's not an original thought to anybody who has had that all day. Everybody else is having that thought. Uh, it, it's funny though. It's still right. funny. Oh, it's totally funny. It's yeah. like yeah, I, I. It's very true too. Well, yeah, proves the point of the movie in a lot of ways. Yeah, you got to call out uh, makeup and hairstyling. Uh, Golda and Maestro both getting nominated. I mean, that is a, that is yet another example where the Academy goes for the most of something as opposed to the best yep. of something. Because <laughs> Golda, Golda, you know, the the makeup on Helen Mirren is a lot. Uh, the makeup on Bradley Cooper is a lot. It's and it's just one of those things where sometimes the Academy just really likes to see the work as opposed to honoring what yeah. is the best work. And I'm going to say that if Maestro wins, it'll be by a nose. Oh, boo. <laughs> boo. <laughs> Why wouldn't to, Barbie be nominated for that? Great question. I mean, because uh, <laughs> it's not as, I guess it's not as obvious <laughs> somehow. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess Kostnuzan got nominated, but Jesus. Makeup and hairstyling, yeah, Barbie should be in there instead of either Golda or Maestro. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, also, oh. uh, uh, well, I was just going to, I just lost my train of thought. Uh, as, you know, I'm, I'm <laughs> I want to do. I want the American fiction score to win so bad. I know that everybody's kind of leaning towards uh, Robbie Robertson because, of, you know, he's a legend. And Killers of the Flower Moon is is phenomenal work, but the score of American fiction is incredible. Like it, I, it got me to listen to jazz. <laughs> it got me to actually <laughs> sit down and spend time listening to jazz and enjoying it. So I mean, I, I that is that is remarkable to me. While we're talking about score, uh, this is the fifty fourth nomination for John Williams, which makes him the most nominated uh, uh, composer for a score for movies this year. Cool. Also, he's the oldest at 91. And it sound and, uh, almost all the same. They're just slightly different. <laughs> <laughs> just changes a few <laughs> notes and calls it new. And not no, to block him or anything, <laughs> but he's also, you know, he's been in the Academy for a number of years, and just seeing his name is often enough for the very, very old, old people. Yeah. Of the <laughs> uh, I, but I do want to call out also visual effects. Uh, Godzilla mm-hmm. Minus One is the first Godzilla movie ever to get an Academy Award nomination. That's awesome. Yep. Well deserved. I mean, it looked so realistic. Uh, and I will say, as much as I disliked the creator, it 
it, it deserves to be in that in in there because it's just visually is something so new and nice. Um, I didn't see Mission Impossible because Tom Cruise, but um, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy, I that's fine. <laughs> but I want Godzilla to win because it just the it was so realistic and everything about it was real, you know, just real. Mm-hmm. It has to win, <laughs> won't it? I mean, that's getting a lot of buzz right so. now. I would hope so. Uh, what else do you want to talk about? That's pretty much all I've got. What wins Best Picture, Oppenheimer? I yeah, Oppenheimer is going to win Best Picture unquestionably. It's 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 the it's the by far favorite. I would say I don't think there's much chance of of an upset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thirteen so nominations. You-, you know, it's got. Yeah, the the help of Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, win is going to be a part of that. Like, it's just everything is breaking. Well, it's it's going to win way. the most awards for sure. What's the the token Barbie award? Is it a supporting actress or adapted screenplay? Which one do they give them? That is I a think good the, question. <laughs> I think I honestly don't think he'll he will win. No. And I don't think she will win for, um, I think American fiction might be, uh, adapted screenplay. Oh, um, you don't think they'll give give them the, or you can have this one I, award or they'll get costume design. They'll get, they'll get, production design. They'll get production design. Well, song doesn't count. Songs. <laughs> <laughs> song is the Grammys. That's a different award. <laughs> Song, costume design. Uh, I'll get a few things. That's good. <sighs> production design is a maybe. Yeah. Did you production think I'm a hairstyling? But you know, <laughs> whatever. They got big noses. You know. <laughs> Did you think a year ago we'd be like this pissed off? Barbie wasn't part of the Oscars as much as she is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like it. It makes me happy. Absolutely. All right, what did you guys want to do with Flickchart? I forgot. Sorry, I'm not in a place to look at anything. Uh, I actually need to be winding down myself. All right, you we can call it that. off. No, it's I'm okay if we want to call it because I'm exhausted. But I thank you guys for letting me go late. I don't I apologize for uh, uh, taking so long to get ready. That's cool. It's a good show. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, check out the 94 podcast. Uh, it'll be out later this week with uh, the movie Intersection. We're talking about uh, Richard Gere, Lolita Davidovich, and Sharon Stone in a highly mediocre melodrama. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. <laughs> all right. See you all next week. Bye.